everybody has to use their body all their life. Now, they may not be using it in elite ways, but everybody could use their body in much more intelligent, diverse, interesting ways if they were taught how to do it. You're listening to The Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online and face-to-face courses, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, with up to a massive 40% discount for members of Australian Fitness Network. In this episode, the legendary fashion man Thomas Myers talks kinesthetic skills and grounding the body, training the forgotten body parts, and the miracle of human movement with Network's Alicia Smith. Good morning and welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Today with me I have... There's just, it's no way to describe who you are, Tom, because you've just been so prolific in the way that we look at the human body that, that any bio that I have for you doesn't really feel like it's enough. So I'm just going to say originator of anatomy trains. And then as the discussion goes on, I'm sure that's going to expand from there. So thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure, Alicia. Fantastic. So you've actually just come out of the PT breakfast at Phylex 2017. And I think, you know, what really stuck out to me there was how holistic the whole approach to anatomy trains is it's not simply just a concept of what happens with the body but it's how it integrates with the mind and 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 what the human is as a whole but how do you describe the work that you do and what anatomy trains is well anatomy trains is a map and i'm the cartographer of that map but somebody else would have been if i hadn't been and it's just stringing the muscles together like strings of sausages so i'm looking for those areas where the fascial fabric the grain of the fascial fabric, like grain in lumber, goes all the way through the body. And could I track that? And it started as a game and then it got quite serious. And then I got into the dissection labs to prove or disprove my theories. And it's gotten far bigger than, and uh, been taken up by more people than I thought. So the personal training industry has been very interested in it, as well as the massage industry and Pilates and just everybody with the body has made this thing sing. And it's been a great pleasure for me that that's been the way it is. I have been particularly interested in coming to places like Phylex, working with the Australian fitness folks and uh, fitness folks all over the world, even though I'm not a fitness trainer and not even that fit. Um, (laughs) But because I believe that they're on the front lines of healthcare, because I believe that the potential for this is so great, and because the need for it is so great, we come out of school knowing a lot, maybe in intellectual terms, but very little in practical terms about the use of our body. So you could call it movement hygiene or kinesthetic intelligence, KQ, uh, physical intelligence. There's a lot of physical intelligence in the world and it's not being developed at all in the schools except in the elite sports thing. If you're good at sports, you get training. If you're not good at sports or if you're not into sports, you get hardly any training at all. That's not fair. Everybody has to use their body all their life. Now, they may not be using it in elite ways, but everybody could use their body in much more intelligent, diverse, interesting ways if they were taught how to do it. My particular message for the fitness industry is 
hey, you've been training people's fascia. You've been training your own fascia since you started working out. You've been training other people's fascia since you started training other people. How much better could you do if you do it consciously? And the message I was giving to the breakfast here, one simple one is movement organizes fascia. Healthy loading, either stretching or, or exercise, mm -hmm. actually changes the architecture of the inner fascia. I think everybody should know that. There's lots of other stuff about, one, there's a lot of bullshit around fascia going around. There's a lot of stuff around fascia going out there that's not true. <laughs> People are just making up or just kind of adding to what they already do and calling it fascial. But fascia isn't that important intrinsically in itself. You're working with the whole organism every time you engage with somebody, with their psychology, with their emotions, with their autonomic nervous system, as well as their biceps and their quads and their glutes. And if you see them only as a musculoskeletal person, your coaching will be less complete and it will be less satisfying to you in the long run. Whereas if you engage with their psychology and you engage with how they're going to learn and how they're going to move on to the next thing, and you do the same thing with yourself, you're going to have a lot more fun life and you'll have more breakthroughs with your clients as well. That's huge because I think, you know, trainers traditionally have been about the prescription of exercise. The concept that we have to integrate the whole person or, or coach the whole person is quite an intimidating one if you don't really know where to start. It's intimidating if you think that you have to be the perfect one in all of that. It's not intimidating if you say, I'm coming to this relationship with my set of problems, my marriage isn't great, my, you know, I have to move house and I don't know how I'm going to do it, you know, all of the things that come up. But you come to that relationship with your strengths, which is your knowledge, your feeling inside your body, however much you know, and nobody knows at all, mm. that you're coming to that relationship with your set of skills. The client is coming with their set of skills and their problems. You're coming with your set of skills and your problem. And you're going to have a dialogue together and they're going to pay you because the focus is on them. Right? You have to take your stuff, put it aside and focus on them. That's why you get paid. Otherwise, it's just a conversation between friends and money shouldn't exchange <laughs> hands. But since we know so little about how the body really trains itself, and since we're in such a new cultural situation where people aren't required by their daily life to use their body in extraordinary ways, which in the hunter-gatherer, Paleolithic era, they would have been. And even in the agricultural era, you were out there swinging a scythe and lifting hay bales and all of that day by day. So your body got used as we got into the industrial era, which is really the last hundred, 150 years, people were working in factories and doing repetitive motions all day long. So we got a lot of RSI, as you call it down here in Australia. <laughs> and now we're entering the electronic era. And the thing is, there's no demand on the body. You can just be a slump through most of your life and get a job and do that. And the life of the body, which is a very rich part of life, uh, doesn't get trained at all. Which it, is crazy because we just have one body for our whole life. So why would we not want to get better at it? It's your most in intimate, mm. most proximate. It's your nearest tool. I don't care what other tools you use, a hockey stick, a tennis racket, or anything mm -hmm. else. Your body is the one that's going to run it. It's going to run your computer for that matter. And so not to engage with the life of the body in some way is to leave out one third of life. Mm. Absolutely. Out of it. So, as I say, uh, as I said in the breakfast, 
you're doing radical political work, radical environmental work, as well as the personal social work in doing personal training because people need to know how their bodies work and they don't find out in the schools. You also made an interesting point in the breakfast this morning about the face and how, you know, trainers don't train the face. We also don't really train the hands or the feet. Why, why do you feel like those parts of the body have been just almost all but ignored in training literature, in training courses, in our certification programs? Because it's a young industry and it's still maturing into how things really work. And that's not, I'm not saying anything bad about mm. the people who go into the industry. We're all learning about these things. So if you're doing a squat, as Ian O'Dwyer, Australian native, pointed out to me, it's sit and reach, mm. right? But you're reaching for something. The moment your hand goes around an object, you and your mind become one with that object. It's a spear, it's a hockey stick, it's a tennis racket. Uh, it becomes an extension of yourself. And so there's a, a kind of radical, or there's, there's certainly a change in your nervous system as soon as you grip something with your hand. Your face is tremendously important to you. And I'm not saying we should be working out the Resorius <laughs> or working out the Buxinator or something like that. But I was very grateful to a coach of mine that when I was losing my form at the end of exertion, and he said, come on, relax your face, because I was screwing up my face like this. And I just think it's, it's important that we start to pay attention to the parts of the body that are the most innervated. Your body, your brain is totally interested in your fascia. You have more, you have six times as many receptors in the fascia as you have in the muscles. The muscle spindles are about one-sixth the number of the fascial receptors. So your, your brain's very interested in your fascia. It's more than you have in your tongue, more than you have in your eye. It's just fabulously interested in how you move around. A lot of that doesn't make it up to our conscious mind. A lot of it is modulated in the brainstem and the basal ganglia, but it is still something of great interest. And yet we don't cultivate that kinesthetic sense. And you know, people would have better sport better relationships with their kids and better sex if they were tuned into the feelings of their body. And that's, you know, better relationship with your children, better sex and a better career. That's pretty good. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, and I think that's, that's an interesting point. People are coming into training sessions with their, you know, with their trainers after maybe a day of sitting at their desk and they're incredibly disconnected from what's happening in their body. I see this with the clients and students that I work with. They can't, you know, maybe at times take a, a cue, a visual or an auditory cue and translate that into a movement into their own body. So how do we get people, how do we get people better connected with their bodies? Well, it is a sense. It is the kinesthetic sense. We are a very visually and auditorily dominant culture. We go to the movies or turn on Netflix these days, but we sit there watching and listening, but we're sitting there. We're not doing anything with our bodies in that. And this is a short period of time in human history. We're about to enter the time of virtual reality where you will be able to use your entire body in a skiing experience, but it will be a virtual skiing experience. But at least you'll be using your whole body, not just sitting there with a controller using your thumbs and it's all eye-hand coordination. That's the state of video games right now. But the state of video games 20 years from now is going to be total body involvement. And at that point, personal training becomes a different kind of thing. And we're going to be able to bring people back into their kinesthetic experience, I really hope, through the 
through the virtual reality mm-hmm. to be able to provide people experiences which they, because they live in the city or because they're poor or because something else, that they can't have those experiences otherwise. And I think that's going to be a very important development in the industry for people to be able to have these virtual experiences. But the first thing you have to do is to get them to be kinesthetic. I spent all of my young years, the first thing we did in class was stand behind our desk and do pledge allegiance <laughs> to the fag. I don't know what they do in Australia, but that's what they do in America. When I sent my daughter to a Montessori-like school, instead of doing something stupid like that, they each student would turn to another student in the circle and press down on the tops of their feet press down on the sides of their knees, press down on the sides of the hip bones, press down on the shoulders. In other words, they would ground each other for the day to start. And you would see kids later on, because I would stay at the school and observe what was going on, you would see kids later in the day when one kid was going ADD and starting to get hyperactive and move around, another kid would come up, press on their feet, press on their knees. If We could very simply in, in schools start to bring in these kinesthetic skills, start to bring in the kinesthetic feeling, lots of your hunches, lots of your intuitions are based actually on bodily experience. The more you tune into that bodily experience, the more you understand where your hunches are coming from, the better your hunches get. So what's with the grounding? That's amazing to me. Is it that, is there something physiological in the touch that that grounds the child or was it more that there was a sense of calm surrounding that situation in the morning so then when it was when that movement was brought back later in the day it, it kind of invoked whatever that wherever that mental state was earlier well this this was the kids doing it to each other yeah. in the middle of the day the teacher wasn't coming in and saying well press yeah. on his feet yeah. uh, so there's the both of the things that you said and then the third thing of course is literally grounding is literally mm. getting in touch with gravity We have a lot of kids who are being diagnosed as ADD and ADHD, attention deficit disorder and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in the States, and they're being drugged for these conditions. It's increasingly happening because you can't have an out-of-control kid in the classroom. Well, you're asking the kids to sit in the classroom all day. I think that's an insane request, and hyperactivity disorder is a sane response to an insane request. (laughs) That's so true. And so how can we help the hyperactive kid? Well, some people need to move around to learn. We had a lot in this PT breakfast here of just a trainer. And a lot of the trainers have this, oh, I didn't do very well in school, so I'm just a trainer because I don't have that intellectual capacity. That is not because they don't. I had this thing about trainers before I came into this industry. Oh, there are a bunch of people pushing iron around who don't have a lot going on between the ears. That is so not true. There is so much intelligence in this industry, but they're mostly kinesthetic learners. But there isn't much, except for sport, there is no opportunity to be a kinesthetic learner in school. Nobody teaches you about basic movement hygiene. How do you walk? How do you breathe? How do you sit? How do you stand? Those are basic skills. And again, I think this is part of the future for trainers is you got to come back from these hyperactive athletic activities and really do some basic training. This is down the road for the industry. But down the road for the industry is people need to know how to breathe. People need to know how to walk. 
people need to know how to use a chair because chairs are what we use from one end of the day to the other. And most people are sitting on their tailbone. And when you're sitting on the tailbone, you're sitting on the other end of your brain. And your brain doesn't work very well after a while if you're sitting on your sits bones and you can get the whole spine activated in sitting, you won't feel so tired after a day in the office. Lots of people come home from a day in the office where they've been sitting and they're so bleh mm. that all they can do is watch TV and their wives lose out and their, their spouses lose out and their kids lose out because they they're so out. tired. I do a full day of body work five or six people it's very emotionally engaging the work that i do with people it's very physically engaging intellectually engaging but if you can get your work down to where it's easy where you are not struggling as krista was just saying to be somebody else or to pretend that you're somebody else so you can be a role model for your clients if you just role model being yourself that will be really helpful and you'll come home and still have a life after work is over I enjoy my work and I love my work, but it's not my whole life. You mentioned the idea of, of the, perhaps the future in the fitness industry is going to be teaching people how to breathe, to sit, to stand, to walk, all the basic movement hygiene. That sounds like, you know, a phenomenal concept, but how do you, how do you give people that information that they need while packaging it as something that they want? Because I think to filter that level of change down is going to take a while and personal trainers still need to make a living, you know. So how do you how do you take that information and package it in a way that that helps people? No, you absolutely have to make them feel more fit, give them more cardiovascular capacity, and help them lose weight. And functional training and all of that stuff is still going to be in there. Once you have the confidence of your client, they will go with you mm-hmm. where you think they ought to go. So you can't start. Well, we're going to, yeah, I know you want to lose weight. We're going to lie down and breathe here for a half an hour. But once you, once they've lost a kilo or two and you have their confidence, you can take them into something where you, for five minutes, you make the breath bigger in the body. I don't know. This, this is going to be, as I say, this is down the line. And I'm not suggesting that you, that any personal trainer stop what they're doing and try to teach movement hygiene right now. I'm saying that in the schools, in the future that these things will become more and more important that how people relate to the use of their eyes and the use of their eyes relates right to the back of the neck and the back of the neck relates right down the spine how many people are misusing their spine because they have cut off the oculomotor reflex from the eye to the neck to the spine it's something that happened to me when i was six years old and put at a little metal school desk and you crouch over your work and somebody says tom and you you'll just look up with your head you lose your connection to your spine happened to me as a small child i had to correct that as an adult many people suppress their breath because it's a not fight or flight but it's a freeze response Mm -hmm. to some kind of overwhelming situation and few of us get out of childhood without some kind of overwhelming situation freezing our breath unfreezing the breath is a really great thing to do for any athlete but you have to get their confidence first and then you can take them through things like that so a question that I had uh, discussing with a friend of mine who also loves your work, she's currently studying a myotherapy degree, and her, her question around the work that you do is, how did this all start? How did you make that connection to say fascia isn't just this thing that we scrape off and throw in the bucket to the side? Where did this whole thing come from? 
That whole thing came from Ida Rolf. I have to give gratitude to my teachers mm -hmm. that she was a lone voice crying in the wilderness about fascia in the 1950s. I ran into her in the 1970s, shortly before she died, and that was what got me on this. And then I uh, worked with an anatomist who had an interest in embryology, and then I just became fascinated with this whole thing. I have a curious mind and I was given good training and so I intellectually dive, dove into this as well as physically in, in the work. And personal training was something that came to me later as I realized that personal trainers had no knowledge of this stuff and that really for 500 years we've ignored a system in the body. We are so aware when we work on do something to fix the median nerve as it goes through the carpal tunnel that it's part of a nervous system and that there's if there's an occlusion in the vertebral artery it's part of a circulatory system but we say plantar fasciitis and all we do is look at the plantar fascia we're not aware that it is part of a whole larger system so we have tended in the musculoskeletal system to isolate out medial collateral ligament anterior cruciate ligament you know, tendinopathies, et cetera, plantar fasciitis, and we only look in that local area for the solution. The thing that I am trying to bring to the training industry, but it's not a developed thing because I'm a manual therapist, that's where it's developed for me, is we have to learn to look at the whole system and say, okay, the result is plantar fasciitis, but where is the block? Where is the non-movement that is resulting in the hyper-movement in the plantar fasciitis? Because working on plantar fascia, when there's plantar fasciitis rolling your wall under the plantar fascia, is probably not going to work. I get a lot of relief from plantar fasciitis by working in the soleus above the Achilles tendon. And with the attachments of the hamstrings up at the ischial tuberosity and with the muscles that are under the suboccipitals because it depends on the client. There's no one solution. You have to look, see where is the client not moving so they have this hyper movement in the plantar fascia. Yes, and it's sometimes the way their foot is landing in their running, but often it's something that's not moving farther up the body. This is a fairly sophisticated body reading movement analysis skill that those who start out in physical and personal training really does take, I'm so sorry of this, I, uh, Dan was talking about how many people will be out of the industry mm -hmm. in a couple of years, and I'm on the, one thing you didn't mention in my biography is I'm on the uh, health advisory board for Equinox in, in the US, and as such we kind of see what's coming down the pike in terms of sleep, recovery, there's all kinds of stuff that they're working on that are a bit cutting edge. And I see these visual analysis skills as being down the road for that we really need to improve the eye of the personal trainer so that they can look at somebody and within a minute of looking at them really say, okay, here's where you're not. Yeah, I know you're hurting in your arm, you're hurting in your low back, but here's where you're not moving and be able to zero in on the real problem instead of the presenting symptom. That's, I did your body reading two day seminar mm -hmm. last year. And that totally shifted the way that I not only look at my clients' bodies, but how I, what I notice, the little tiny nuanced changes in my posture in my own body as a result of training that I'm doing or not doing. Mm -hmm. And, but that's something that I feel is still, it's still going to take me such a long time to refine it to the point where I would feel really confident 
you know, with my clients in, and I guess diagnosing is not the right word, but no. in being able to, to look at or observe them Still, and then know how to translate I really would that like into to get I really would like to get away from the word diagnosis. Yeah. We're not diagnosing things. We are analyzing patterns. Mm. And so pattern recognition yes. is a skill that is built in no matter what profession you take. Mm. You need to be able to recognize the patterns within that profession. Now, the mm. patterns that we need to recognize are within other people's bodies. How do they move? And what is the pattern of their movement? And where can we intervene in the pattern of that movement to change it? And if you're a high turnover person, if you've been in this profession less than two years, with my silver hair, I can tell you, it takes five years to get on top of any mm -hmm. profession. Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours. I don't know about 10,000, you know, there's no magic number 10,000 mm -hmm. hours, but it takes a while to get on top of the material that you were taught. And then it takes a while after that to become the master, to really inhabit your profession. And I said this yesterday in my talk and the whole room went solid. It's like, you know, once you've been in your profession for 12 years, come talk to me. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard in the personal training industry because most of the people have only been there for four or five years and it's moving very quickly. And that's, I'm glad to see those folks, but we really do need people who have been at it for a long time. Find one of those people and learn from them. So then, how do you, you know, how do you reconcile that the speed of the the movement within the industry with the concept that you also need to be a mar you know, you need to spend time to become a mar and I use the term master very loosely, but to become a master of that concept or or that particular element. You know, how do you balance those two? I'm actually using the word master very tightly in terms I could. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I can put it into words right now, but I can recognize it when I see it. Ian O'Dwyer is a mm. master and I'm not, it's nothing egotistical. It's he so inhabits his work. It is him. Mm -hmm. It isn't something that he learns and applies. It is something that comes out of the middle. And when I see that, that's what I call a master. Mm -hmm. I, this is nothing you know, holy or anything like that. It's just a plain inhabiting your mm -hmm. skill. And it does just plain take experience and falling down, having anxiety moments and your life falling apart and still being able to do it. You know, people think that being a hero and being courageous is not being scared. And that's not the way it works. Being a hero is being scared and acting anyway. Mm. And so we all, if you can persevere through the times in your life where things aren't working or if it's not your personal life and your professional life. I just can't connect. Oh God, I used to know how to do this and I don't know how to do it anymore. That's, that's going through that sound barrier and you come out on the other side with all your skills and more. And you don't go through too many of those things in two years, but in 12 years, you go through a number of those bits and of those crisis points. And out of that, you become an anti-fragile, strong, resilient person who can handle all kinds of situations. And we are in the personal training industry, just in the process of building the few people like Ian, and I, I don't want to name, mm -hmm. uh, there's lots of people who've been in this for a while who are masters of one thing or another. And those are your coaches as a personal trainer to leading lights, so to speak, lighthouses. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be exactly like them, but you're going to become yourself in the same way that they became themselves inside the work that they do. And interestingly, people like Ian and yourself have all probably at one point had to deal with being on the outer edge of what the fitness industry or manual therapy industry or medical industry accepts or is willing to believe in 
and you still had to be quite persistent in saying, no, this is what I, I believe I'm on the right path. This is why you need to listen to this. And you still have had to, I suppose, forge ahead anyway and, <laughs> yeah. you know, fight off the critics. Yeah, yeah Krista was saying something similar of, of when I went into this, my mom said, all this education and you're going to become a massage therapist? <laughs> and I think, oh, God. But in point of fact, it was the best decision I've ever made. And it's been absolutely satisfying physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. It engages all different parts of my being. And I get to work intimately with other people, which is just a fabulous privilege. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. But back then, it looked from the outside to other people. Like, this isn't it. And I come here and talk about fascia and the personal industry says, yeah, 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 fascia, smasha, and, and let's get on to the better way of doing a squat, which is fine. The message that I have for the industry may or may not be taken up or it probably will be interpreted for the industry because I'm coming from outside. So I don't have all the stuff that's inside the industry in terms of the questions people have. But I'm sure that the information will be taken and interpreted for the industry mm -hmm. successfully. And I will go to my dotage in my retirement, uh, securing the knowledge that other people will be carrying that information on. You and I were talking earlier about, you know, trainers quite often are looking for solutions, particularly when they come to some of your workshops and seminars. And oftentimes those solutions that they're looking for can be quite one dimensional. So for trainers listening to this, how would you suggest that they would go about maybe broadening their expectation, well, not broadening their expectation, but, but broadening their perspective on how they take the information that they can get from, from you, from anatomy trains, from workshops, and learning to apply that in maybe a more analytical and critical angle than they currently do. Okay. So when people come to you, they expect you to be an expert. And so when they present you with a question or a challenge or what are we going to do today, uh, it can be as simple as that you want because you need to be the expert. There's this immediate thing. I have to have an immediate response. And you have resources inside of you, the training that you have had inside of you, your own experience of being trained and training yourself. So when you present, when you're presented with a challenge, I would just advise one breath, wait one breath before you go to the answer, because there's probably several different kinds of solutions and oh this person is a complainer or this person is a gung-ho they're really gonna go so you're gonna you're gonna have a different strategy for those and if you just take that one breath and during that one breath you say okay how am i going to approach this question and it then it becomes a response instead of a reaction mm -hmm. the reaction comes like that and it's likely to be whatever i learned last week or whatever i learned in my training you're likely to react out of that but if you take what's called the cortical pause, you just one breath and say, all right, well, now let's see how we're going to go into this. You will start working different solutions that come up. By all means, get yourself more education, and that's all helpful. But some of this is just going to come in from yourself. I don't know what you call it to be a personal trainer. In, in my world of manual therapy, we call it a practice. I have a practice. And I love that word because I'm practicing every day and people pay me to, to, <laughs> to get better and better, to get better mm. and better. Exactly. So if you're always doing the same thing, you're not going to get better and better. You have to have that pause and say, oh, how would I approach this one differently? And you can do that during the breath that you have before you answer your client. Mm. 
I'm going to change tactic for my last question or sure. change tact. A lot of trainers that will be listening to this will not have done any dissection before, but I know there's uh-huh. a lot of interest in Anatomy Live and the dissection labs that you run. So can you talk us through a little bit about, you know, what's that experience like and sure. what could people expect if they were going to go along to that? So almost everybody who has learned anatomy in this profession has learned it from a book. <laughs> And the books come from a particular point of view. They are selling a particular point of view. The most common point of view is origin. Muscles go from origin to insertion, and therefore they work. We imagine that that's the only muscle on the skeleton. What would it do to the skeleton? And that's what we think the function of the muscle is. That's a point of view that's been sold to you. It is not necessarily the real point of view. I think it's very, very important that trainers go back to basics and see for yourself. The word autopsy means, if you break it down, see for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm encouraging that for trainers, and and Michelle Dalcor of of Institute of Motion was the first person I approached for this and said, trainers really need to see what it's really like inside Mm -hmm. the body because you have an image of what it's like inside the body and that image is nothing like what it really is. The images in the books are helpful, but they come from a particular point of view And as we look at movement as a real source of study, which is what the personal training industry is doing, if we look at movement as a source of study, and we could look back to dance, they've been at this for a thousand years, yeah. Personal training's only been at it for 30 or 40 years (laughs) as 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 an organized thing. That as we go back to look for movement, that we have to go back and look for ourselves. So anatomy trains with an idea that I came up with, I had to go and do the cadaver work to see is this real or is this a figment of my imagination that was the critique that came out when anatomy trains first came out is great but that's all a figment of your imagination muscles are what's real so i went in and we dissected out all of these things and i can tell you the method by which we dissected it out and now it's out there and it has to be answered in Mm -hmm. a way so we do a couple of different forms of dissection courses we do a few shorter ones in uh, conjunction with michelle they are great overviews i highly recommend for trainers uh it's difficult to take five days off i know and difficult to get halfway around the world i would urge you to get into any dissection class you can the advantages of the ones that we do both the ones that we do with michelle and the five-day ones that we sponsor ourselves are that you are doing the dissection it is not pre-done for you so you're there with the scalpel and the hemostat you yeah. come in at nine o'clock by eleven thirty. you will be doing the section yourself having learned the rules and how to use the tools. Over five days for our five-day courses, you will go from skin to bone. Of course, we focus on the fascial layers, uh, fascia in the skin and the fat and the ones that surround the muscles, between the muscles, intermuscular septa, the interosseous membrane. You will see it all for yourself. You will see that everything is connected, that this is not some new age shibboleth that I'm bringing forward. This is the actual reality. The scientific reality is everything's connected. The book reality is not the real reality. Uh, And to see how the organs are tied to the diaphragm and the psoas and the transversus abdominis and to understand that the organs aren't just sloshing around, they're doing nothing. They actually, the organs were there before you were, they, they made you not the other way around. And, Towards the end, we open up the skull and see the brain and the spinal cord. Wow. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, I know everybody does this. I can see no, your I body. Look, I, have, I'm equal, I have like equal parts fascination excitement, and fascination, and ner- is, nervousness about it. It is such a taboo. Yeah, it is. Ooh, you're cutting another human open. <laughs> you're cutting another human open. So you, you really want to understand two things. One is 
that these are donors, that yes. they gave themselves to this. And everybody expresses this about the dissections. And for most people, it lasts about a minute and a half. Okay. And then the fascination takes over. Mm -hmm. And yes, it is a very strange thing to cut up another human being, <laughs> even their remains. Yeah. But we're very respectful of the donor program. Everything stays. It will all go back together, be cremated, and returned to the family. We're very, very mm. uh, sharp on that discipline. And the, my lab mate, Todd Garcia, who, who runs the, the lab where we do this, makes it such, it's almost like cleaning up the dishes and taking out the garbage. It's a job that needs to be done. It's hard work, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's five days of standing on the floor and leaning over the body and doing this work. Uh, it's fascinating, but fascinating. Could you fascinating. Say that? Yes, you could say that. <laughs> Sorry, but I, I certainly. But you're seeing it's not just the fascia, right? It's mm. the fascia and the muscle and the yeah. epithelia and the nerves all together interacting to make this thing that we call a body, which is just an absolute effing miracle that it works at all. And I just really urge people: you will not come out of that experience, whatever dissection you come to ours. What's unique about ours is that the cadavers are untreated, so no, so no chemistry, no poison, mm -hmm. uh, and they move through normal range of motion. So mm -hmm. you can take them into a squat. You can take them. You can see how the hip flexion, and then we take the skin off, and you see whether there's any different in motion. And then you take the muscles off, and you see how that changes the available motion. We're experimenting all the way down through about how movement actually happens in the body, and. We just commonly hear from the people who take this, I never looked at the body the same way again. Absolutely. So I really do urge that those things become more available for personal trainers. And uh, actually, maybe even in Australia, this is becoming more available because doctors aren't doing this kind of work anymore. It's people like us with ideas like anatomy trains or other ideas that are, that are here at, at Phylex. Those are the ideas that need to be proven now against the actual body. Mm -hmm. So it's actually more personal trainers, massage therapists that are coming up because doctors have fairly fixed ideas about what the body is. And they're doing more and more stuff with computer simulation. They're not actually doing gross anatomy. And uh, so I really urge trainers to get into this if they possibly can do it. It will change your view of what you're doing. So how can they find out more and when you have courses coming up? And Okay, well, we have lots of courses happening in Australia now. We're uh, anatomy trains for a long time. I was method neutral. I didn't want to have any method. I was just, here's the map, you use it. But now as we've become worldwide and we're getting into more professions, we're tailoring our classes to particular professions. So we have anatomy trains, regular structure and function courses that are more for physiotherapists, rehab people. We have anatomy trains in motion, which is a more Pilates yoga style healing and working with the anatomy trains in that style of motion. We have anatomy trains in training, which is kind of kettlebell oriented, but loaded training mm -hmm. with the anatomy trains in mind. So you learn about fascia, why it's relevant to training, what happens to it in training, and then programmatic stuff for working with people that you can then blend with whatever you're doing. So those courses are available at anatomytrains.com.au. The dissection courses that we run, the ones that we run with Michelle and the longer ones we run ourselves are available at anatomytrains.com, which is the mothership of the, <laughs> of the uh, websites that we have it's i'm very i'm very glad that this kind of thing has gone around the world uh, we're glad to have courses in europe and asia and, and australia as well as north and south america but the 
dissection courses, we can only, the, the, the ones that I was just talking about, we can only do in Arizona because that's the only place I have access to the untreated cadavers mm-hmm. that, that uh, are able to be found there, but I haven't been able to find another lab in Europe or uh, here in Australia where mm-hmm. they have them. Okay, fantastic. And also I think Australian Fitness Network and Anatomy Trains Australia are going to work together on getting some content out for specific for the fitness industry as well. So yes, we'll specific for the fitness industry and CECs for the yes, fitness industry exactly. so that people can get their credit. Great, fantastic. Yep. Thank you so much, Tom. I could sit here and talk all day. Oh, I'm allowed to. Um, so thank you so much for coming to Phylex and, and for your time on the Fitness Industry podca- Podcast. All right, and you guys who are listening to this thing, keep going. It's really important that you keep going. For online courses focusing on program design and PT business development, fully accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, head to the Network website. And remember, Network members get huge discounts of up to 40% off courses. Go to fitnessnetwork.com.au slash CECs today to grow your business skills and fitness career.